Well, can we get an amen? amen. <laughs> Welcome back to the choir, at least to this service anyway. So thankful for you guys leading us this morning. It's uh, good to get back closer and closer to a sense of, of normalcy. So, so excited to be together this morning. If you have your Bible, please turn to Joshua chapter 24 if you haven't done so already. It was 2007, and I had just graduated college. I received a phone call from uh, the former pastor here. His name was Ron Rowe, and he asked me if I'd be willing to go with him to East Asia. And I had been to East Asia a few different times, and so I enthusiastically agreed to take that opportunity to go with him there. And I asked, when do we leave? And he said, next week. Next week? I mean, not like this week, but next week? You know, that takes some time to prepare. I mean, what is so important that we're leaving next week? I got to ask off from work. Good thing I was working for my stepdad at the time and uh, had, a, had an in with a guy, and so I was able to get off the next week. And so we go to East Asia, and while uh, we're there, I, I learned the urgency of why we were called upon. So there was a group of house churches, and they had been worshiping the Lord, seeking after the Lord. They had a group of leaders, and then a, a, a cult-like group came in and started to make relationship with them. And, and what had ended up happening was almost overnight, this cult-like group called Eastern Lightning uh, had caused all the leaders of this house church network to almost appear, disappear overnight. They, they were all just gone. Uh, even spouses of those uh, that were leading in the, in the church didn't know uh, where their spouse had left. And so when we got there and we, we came to them, what they kept saying to us is that Moses has died and there is no Joshua. Moses has died there is no Joshua. We, we get together, we, we, we sing the songs that we know to sing, uh, and then we, we read the Bible, but there's no one to teach it to us. We, we don't understand all of its meaning. We need someone to come and teach us and help us to raise up new leaders. Moses is dead, and there is no Joshua. Well, it's uh, no secret we're looking for a, a new senior pastor. We've been in a search process to identify who the next senior pastor will be of, of Bayleaf. And as we come to this text in Joshua 24, what we have is is Moses dead, and there's Joshua, and Joshua's lived a long, faithful life, and he's giving the final charge to the people of God before he dies. He's about 110 years old, and he has these words, and what's about to happen is he's going to die, and when he dies, it says that the elders of, of Israel actually begin to, to carry forth in leadership, but there is this anticipation about who will be the one that will rise to lead the people. And in this movement series, as we've left Zechariah chapter 4, and we looked at Abram and then Moses and today Joshua, next week for Mother's Day, we'll be looking at the book of Ruth, but then the weeks after that, we'll look at Solomon and David, and we will look at Elijah and Elisha, if the Lord would will for us to continue in that way. We want to look and see and anticipate what is God doing in the life of our church, and who will be the one that will lead us. You know, it's been 14 months since Pastor Marty announced that he was going to transition, and so all of us in some ways have been kind of anticipating what's next. And as we've reemerged from a, a pandemic, what's, what's next? And, and it's been a long, long year, and perhaps uh, it's been longest for those that are the closest to the search, the committee. I invite you to continue to pray for them and to intercede for them. Um, but I want to challenge you as we get going this morning that though it's been some time, I want you to look at the identification of the next senior pastor as a starting gate, not a finish line. We're tempted to anticipate the conclusion of the matter. And for those that are searching, it really will be a conclusion for them. But for the rest of us, 
Uh, it's about what's next. What's God doing? And I hope you see in this movement series that, yes, we're moving to kind of reemerge from the pandemic and get back in the life of the church and serving the needs of the church and saying yes to the Lord wherever he would call us to serve, whatever he would call us to do. Uh, but that does not end uh, just as we reemerge from the pandemic. It also carries forth with what God has next in the life of this church. And I can tell you that exciting days are coming. So Joshua 24 in the beginning, he's gathering all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summons the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel there, and he then begins to recount the history of what God has done. But in verse 13, he says to them, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers that they serve beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether it be the gods of your fathers that they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, Lord, as we come before your word this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would instruct our heart and teach us. Father, we pray that more than teach us, Lord, that you would rescue our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would arrest it, Lord, this morning, that your spirit would be what we are focused on and that we would have, uh, that you would have our full attention, that our full attention would be upon you. So Lord, be with us this morning as we look to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This morning, I invite you first to remember the faithfulness of God. I want you to notice that in verse 1, where Joshua has gathered the tribes. It's not in Shiloh as a reader might anticipate if you're looking at the fuller narrative here, because that's where God's presence will dwell going forward in the book of Judges, but it's actually Shechem that he calls him to. Well, where has Shechem become relevant to the text? It was where in Genesis chapter 12, just where uh, Stephen was a couple of weeks ago, that God made the promise to Abraham that he would make his descendants more numerous than the stars of the sky and that he would give them a land of hope and promise. It was there that God initiated the promise. It's also where Jacob, a grandson of Abraham, decided to put away the strange gods and to bury idols underneath his house, that his a full attention would be on the Lord, that he would cease worshiping idols. It's here. It is here in view of the whole history that God is renewing his covenant with his people. Remember with me that it was God who called Abram way back then, and what has happened is the whole book of Genesis has unfolded. You know, the whole book of the Exodus, which has unfolded, and the slavery in Egypt, and then the, the deliverance out of Egypt and in the wilderness, and then the whole book of Joshua has unfolded, and they are now looking back on all of this and bringing remembrance to where it all started. The small beginning, where it began, when God called Abram. And it's not by strength that it's happened, but it's by God that it's happened. And so when we look in the text, like uh, as we look back through verses 2 through 13, there's a series of verses of what God is saying that he has done. And to summarize, it says that I took, I led, I gave, I plagued, I brought, and you saw what I did. I gave, I destroyed, I delivered. It was not by your action, but all of these things I did. So let's take a look 
closer look at verses 2 and 3 where God takes Abram from worshiping false gods, the gods of his fathers. You do realize that Abraham wasn't a righteous man prior to God coming to him, don't you? You do realize that Abram was worshiping the gods of his fathers, but it was God that came to him. And so choosing Abram and saying, Abram, I'm going to take you to a new land, and in the new land, I'm going to build a whole nation through you. Patrick reminded us last week about how that nation grew from Abraham uh, to the end of the book of Genesis, where it's 70 now dwelling in, in Egypt because of the famine that had come. And then he carried us through in the book of Exodus, where the, they multiplied to over one million people. And it's there that the text continues in verses 6 and 7, where he reminds them, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And it's the reminder about what we looked at last week, where they trusted God to lead them out and where God fought for them and delivered them through the Red Sea. And we look in verse 11 where it says that, that you crossed the Jordan. And in the crossing of the Jordan, they got to the other side. And if we were to look back earlier in the narrative of Joshua, we see in Joshua 4 that once they got to the other side, that he instructed them to do something, to kind of enter into a little bit of a rite of passage. He instructed them to bring together stones to build a monument. And the monument was to remind them about what God had done, that God had parted the Red Sea, or had parted the Red Sea, but had here now parted the Jordan, and that they crossed through on dry ground. It's important for the people of God to remember where they have come from and what God has done in them and through them. It's important to remember all the ways that God has acted on their behalf. It's important for you and I also to remember what God has done in our own lives. I invite you to remember what God has done in your life. Tonight we have one of the best events I think we do all year long in our outdoor baptism events. It's a great time of fellowship at New Life Camp and a great time of, of watching others baptize. The way we often think about baptism is to celebrate the candidate and their special day. But baptism is an ordinance of the church for all of us to celebrate together, not just for the candidate going through it, but as a reminder that you yourselves, if you have trusted in Jesus, were once dead in your transgressions and sins in the waters of baptism, and that you have been raised to new life. I want you to take account here in the narrative at the beginning who it is that God has called them around him, or who Joshua has called around them at Shechem. It's all of the leaders of Israel, but it's not only the leaders, it's all the people that they represent. This whole nation of Israel is there. It's important that the whole group is there because God is calling each of them, but also all of them, to remember. There's both a personal remembrance of what God has done in each individual, but there's also a corporate remembrance, what God has done for the group of them. And this morning, as we continue to go forward and as we take occasion to remember what God has done, it's important that we remember both personally what God is doing in our lives, but also corporately what God desires to do in and through the life of our church So remember what God has done. And remember that it was by his hand that all these things have happened. It wasn't by your good deeds or your good works or your ingenuity or your strength or your wisdom. It was because of God's hands. The same can be true of our church. It wasn't by our collective strength and abilities. It was by God's hand. As we remember as a church, it's important to look back and consider the origins of our church. 140 years ago, a church planted in this community. And at the time, it was a a community church. 
And a group of, of families that had kind of farmed the larger region had come here to worship. But now our church is not such anymore. And in part, the reason why it's no longer a family church is because about 40 years ago or so, that group of people had a decision to make. And the decision was this. Do we want to continue being a family church or do we want to reach the new people moving into the area? Because you see what happened about 40 years ago is Raleigh really began to rapidly expand in this area. And with RTP and with the expansion of of business in Raleigh, new neighborhoods started sprouting up. And these families had a choice to make. The Norwoods and the Baileys and the Nippers and the Pipers, they had a choice to make. Are they going to continue to focus in on themselves? Are they going to be willing to receive the new people moving into their community? It would seem to us an obvious decision that they would make. Of course, the Bible commands us to go and make disciples and to reach all people but you have to understand that it's, it's a lot easier said than done. Back then, you'd have to wonder that this was a, a southern church, and you had people moving from outside of Raleigh, from other parts of the state, but you also had people moving from up north, down into the south, and, and, and receiving people that might have different preferences, or that might have different desires, or that might think about things different. We're a Baptist church, congregationally led, everybody gets a vote, and if enough new people move into the church, we might even lose some authority or some power. Things could change, but they did. They willingly sacrificed who they were to reach the community, and Bayleaf grew. And perhaps the greatest legacy of our church, even today, is that those people said yes. They said yes to reaching the rest of us. Because I would imagine maybe just a handful in the room can trace their lineage to Bayleaf back those many years, but the rest of us are here because they said yes to reaching us. They said yes to reaching me and allowing me to come into this church and be baptized in this church and to preach my first message in this church and to stand before you this day in this church. And so it's our choice as we not only look back and remember all that God has done in the life of this church, but also to look forward and consider what ways that God desires to continue to move in and through our church. Remember, the, the future is like a starting gate. What does God want to do next in our midst? How does he want to use you to accomplish it? How does he want to use us to accomplish it? The second point is this. Choose to serve the Lord. Put away the gods that your fathers served in the river and the, beyond the river and in Egypt is what he is telling them. Do not serve the gods of your ancestors. Do not serve the gods of the Amorites. The Amorites are the people in whose land you now dwell. These gods are not alive. They're not real. You do realize that there's only one God, don't you? There are many that ascribe to belief in God, but there is only one God. And all that we know about this God is what has been revealed right here. Anything else that would be assumed or believed about God that does not originate from the divine revelation of God cannot be trusted. It is not God. In fact, what it is is a figment of one's imagination. And so there are actually two errors that happen when we think about other gods. One is we worship false gods by false names. Maybe Allah or Baals or whatever else. But there's also the problem of believers in the Lord Yahweh ascribing to him things that are not true about him. That's actually what happens at the foot of Mount Sinai. When Moses ascends the mountain to meet with God and receive the law of God, what's happening at the base are the people getting restless and impatient. And so they take off all of their gold and their jewelry and their chains and they throw it into a fire. 
And what they do is they actually fashion out of the melted gold and silver metals, and they, they fashion, they, they fashion uh, the, the golden calf. And they begin to worship it. But what's interesting is that they ascribe to the golden calf the name of Yahweh, as if it was the golden calf that had delivered them from Egypt, as if it was the golden calf in who all power and authority dwelt. While the people, uh, while Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God himself, the people who were not willing to ascend the mountain with him were worshiping now a golden calf that they had fashioned in their own image. What I mean by that is it was the image of their own imagination that they had created to worship. In today's world, there are those who do worship, indeed, false gods created with hands, even maybe little idols that they bow down to. But today we live in a a strange world, in a world where more and more, increasingly over the last uh, several years, what's now happening is that people are actually no longer looking outside of themselves for ultimate authority. I mean, not even the Greek gods of Zeus or foreign gods of, of other religions are they looking to. What they're now doing, what our culture is now doing, is looking inwardly and trying to find deity in oneself. It's actually now immoral, according to the world, to ascribe to a higher power who has ultimate authority that would regulate our lives. The true deity is ourself, and we are able to define our own freedoms, our own limits, and to, and to neglect those is to be immoral. To neglect those is to disobey the God of our imaginations, the God of our personhood, the God of ourself. We see this in a variety of different ways. You hear phrases like live your truth and you do you. Even uh, the very nature of the selfie is somewhat idolatrous. Forgive me, I know many of you probably enjoy taking selfies and when I go on family vacations, I get the honors of taking the selfie because I've got the longest arms in the family. Selfies aren't necessarily inherently bad, but they're emblematic of a broader culture that is just so hell-bent on focusing on self and elevating self as ultimate and final authority. We are so vain of a people, and we see it in all kinds of ways expressed in social media habits and expressed in there being more mirrors in a house than Bibles in a house sometimes. Every single one of us has a tendency to worship at the altar of something that is not God. We have the temptation to take that which is temporary and make it ultimate. We have the temptation to worship that which is created rather than worship the Creator, There's a question before us this morning. What are the things that are the most important in your life? Success? The stuff that you can accumulate to make you feel better about yourself? Self-indulgence? The things that we fill up that are distractions from the pains and the difficulties of the world? Self-improvement? Self-righteousness? This is usually where I struggle the most because I want so badly for my righteous works to be good enough before God. (laughs) And when I get rebuked, the greatest frustration is not the one that's rebuking me. The greatest frustration is I'm just so mad at myself that I couldn't get it right myself. That I had to have the help of God. Isn't that crazy? But we need God. We have no choice but to throw ourselves upon his mercy just like they. It was not the foreign gods that delivered them. It was the God Yahweh that delivered them. Expressed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, the golden calves that we build in our lives are not frequently these physical manifestations. The ones that we build in our lives are in our hearts and oftentimes harder to see and harder to identify, but they dominate our attention just the same. They're built upon our desire and upon our pride. They often grow out of wounds or out of difficulties and challenges where we don't run to the Lord, but we run to something else to give us salvation, 
though it cannot deliver salvation. They grow out of hurt egos, and they grow out of hurt feelings, and they grow out of unmet desire that our flesh wants but cannot satisfy in this world. The question is, why do we serve ourselves, and why do we center our attention and praise upon ourselves? The inner being is no less able to satisfy, or excuse me, no more able to satisfy than the golden calf. Our God is in a passionate pursuit of his people, and we see here that the choice is clear. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God who is real, the God of the Bible, or the foreign gods, or the gods in whose land you now dwell. And in our land, that God is self. Who are you going to serve, church? Yourself? What you want, what you desire, your cravings, your flesh? Or are you going to worship God? Some years ago, I had the opportunity to go to East Asia, actually several different times, and there was one summer that I went and I met a man named Charlie that was a very bizarre set of circumstances that was miraculous in its own right. We'd love to share the full story with you sometime. But in so meeting him was actually the last day that I was at a particular university at the end of one summer, and I'm supposed to have dinner with a guy named Peter, uh, but when I call Peter, Peter doesn't answer the phone. Instead, this other guy, Charlie, answers the phone. And it's very bizarre set of circumstances. I'd actually met Charlie earlier that day on a bus through sheer random happenstance. And so I was very confused when I dialed Peter's number, but Charlie answered the phone. And I asked for Peter, and Charlie says, I don't know who Peter is. Okay, where am I and what am I doing? What is going on right now? I'm supposed to meet Peter for dinner, and Charlie says, I don't know who Peter is, but I'll go to dinner with you. Okay, so I agree because I have no choice but to agree. I mean, here comes Charlie running across the campus, and when he gets here, I'm like, but you really have to help me. I called Peter's number. Who are you? He goes, I'm Charlie. We met on the bus this morning. Don't you remember? I know I remember, and I don't understand what is going on, but yes, okay, we'll go to dinner. And as we set out towards dinner, here comes Peter. They actually do know each other. They just don't know each other by their English names. Uh, They live in a country. They have other names. And I only knew them by the English name. They knew each other by their spoken language name. So we go to dinner. Peter is a believer. And it has, it's turned out that because they're roommates, that Peter has shared the gospel with them many times. And as it also turns out, Peter is the only known believer on that university campus that any of us really know about. But Peter had been sharing so that there'd be other believers on that campus. And Charlie was one of those ones that he had been sharing with. And, and he had been having difficulty because there was a lot of reluctance in Charlie's heart to yield full allegiance to King Jesus. And so I try to encourage Peter, and I also try to share with Charlie and try to convince him of the ways of God, but he is just unwilling to give his life to Jesus. You see, he's a Communist Party member in his country, and to accept Jesus and to worship him would cost him tremendously. It would cost him social status and cost him in his political career, cost him in his vocational career, cost him with his family. The cost would be enormous. But that morning in my quiet time, I had read about D.L. Moody and the Great Chicago Fire. And why that matters, because D.L. Moody had been preaching a revival that was supposed to last four days. And at the end of the second day, he gave them a, a call to invitation. And he said, I want you to go home and think about it. And tomorrow, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, I want you to come forward and come to this altar and worship God with me. But that night, the fire happened, and he never got another opportunity. And in fact, many of the people that were participants in that revival actually perished. And he resolved that he was never going to go without pleading with people to repent of sin and to trust in Jesus. That the time is short and you just never know. 
And so I persisted in my conversation with Charlie, and I, I asked him the question, what do you think happens when you die, Charlie? And he answered, I, I guess I go to heaven or hell, which is remarkable for a person in this country to say this. Why? Well, because people in this country don't believe in heaven and hell. They believe in, in an other kind of afterlife. But he believed in it. And it became apparent to me that he had all the intellectual belief. He knew all the things. But his heart was not willing to yield and to give up the things of this world to trust and to follow Jesus. So I asked him the question, what do you think happens when you die to the Communist Party? He goes, well, I never thought about that. I don't really know. So I said, Charlie, don't you want to make a decision based off of eternity rather than the temporal things of this world? He goes, man, that's a good point. Maybe tomorrow I'll think about it some more. It was bizarre. That day um, is common in East Asia. There are TVs and restaurants, and they play English movies. And it happened to be that day, the movie The Land Before Time. And he was just attracted to it, constantly distracted, and constantly trying to bring him back from a simple animated Disney movie. The Lord would not let me let it go. And so I pleaded with Charlie one more time, and I said, Charlie, you can wait until tomorrow, but turn your attention to me now. If you wait until tomorrow, you're saying no today. Will you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus and take what you believe in your head and bring it to your heart? And he looked at me and pondered for some moment, looked at Peter and pondered for some moment, and he, he asked me, what must I do to be saved? So again, I shared the gospel with him. I shared that Christ had come to die for him. I shared that Christ had risen on the third day, and I shared that Christ was God and that he was our pathway back to the Father, and that only through him could you get there. And so he prayed with, that, with me that, that hour to give his life to Jesus. It was the most amazing thing. Right after we prayed, he kind of caught himself, and, and he was a little shaky, and he looked at me, and he said, what, what just happened to me? And I said, well, Charlie, you, you gave your life to Jesus. Everything's going to be different. He said, no, what just happened to me? I need to know. And I said, well, the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And he got up from his chair, and he went out into the courtyard, and there was a series of restaurants and shops, and he went one by one by one to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the difference was prior? He knew it all. But he yielded his life to the Spirit in some amazing manifestation that I had never quite seen before, and I would only believe it because I was there. Did he get up, and did he go and testify to the risen Lord Jesus Christ? The question is before us as it was before him. Choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the gods of this world, or are you going to serve the risen Lord Jesus Christ? You see... To repent of worshiping idols requires a change of affection. We can't just put away and try to destroy in our own strength our idols or ourself. We must actually put it to death with the help of God. And the way that we put it to death is with a change of affection. We have to lay aside our affections for the things of this world and be fully affectionate for the things of God. God has to be, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ has to be more beautiful more reliable, more trustworthy than anything in the world. don't know if you remember the story of Romeo and Juliet, but as I was considering it again this week as a point of illustration, because he was just so enraptured with the love of Juliet that ultimately led him to shed his blood to, to die. And in his death, you wonder about the nature of this passionate love, but do you remember at the beginning of the story 
the beginning of the story, he was completely enamored with a woman named Rosalind. It was Rosalind that had all of his heart's affection, and he thought he was going to die because he loved her so much. And he couldn't quite get enough of her, so he went to a party, a party thrown by the rival family. And when he got there, he didn't see Rosalind at all. He saw Juliet, and all of a sudden, once he saw Juliet, forget Rosalind, Juliet! This must be what we do in our pursuit after the Lord, to put away the false God of self that will never satisfy you, that is only ever going to be an empty well, and to turn to that which is perfect and beautiful and better than everything. You see, what will lead us out of our idolatry is worship. It's worship. That's why he says, choose this day whom you will serve. Because throughout the Bible, service and worship go hand in hand. To serve is to worship, and to worship is to serve. Worship is not merely standing to sing songs with a hand in the air, though if that's how God moves you, do so. Worship is every aspect of your life. It's dedicating yourself wholly devoted to the God, the Lord, Jesus Christ. Choose this day whom you'll serve, and when you give yourself in service to him, then everything else just falls away. I want to tell you about my friend named Benedict. Benedict is a guy in our community that we began sharing the gospel with. Actually, some in this room were there some years ago in a backyard Bible club. He was younger, much younger at the time, an elementary age kid. And he had heard the gospel many times, but he always seemed very aloof and indifferent. But earlier this year in January, end of January, beginning of February sometime, I received a call from him. It had been about five years since I heard from Benedict. And he got my number from somebody else, and he called me, and he said, Jeff, i got to talk to you. I'm like, what's going on, Benedict? He says, I've given my life to Jesus. That's amazing, Benedict. What happened? He says, well, I had a really hard year. 2020 was terrible. And so I remembered the things that you told me, and I remembered that where I could go to find the answers to life. And so I started reading the Bible. I began in John, then I read the Psalms, and by the time I read the end of both of them, I just gave my life to Jesus because I knew that he was the way. He said, but now I need help because I need help understanding the scriptures and I need help following after Jesus and I really need help telling other people about Jesus. Every Thursday at our ministry center, I meet with Benedict and now he's brought his sister Maria and then he brought his other sister Alexina and we share in Bible study for two to three hours and his attention span is like this. There is no turning to the right or to the left. I mean, nonstop, all he wants is Bible. And when we're not studying the Bible, what we're doing is we're talking about the people that he's sharing the gospel with. And when we're not talking about people he's sharing the gospel with, we're talking about his dedication to purge out the things of this world that are leading him to sin. So he's deleted TikTok off his phone, and he's deleted Snapchat off his phone. Why? Because those are ways that tempt him in the lust of his flesh, and he doesn't want them anymore. He wants Jesus, and so he goes into the, into the community, and he tells everybody about Jesus. And so he's already led two other people to faith in Christ, and he gets together with them to read the book of Matthew. Because his heart is completely turned away from the things of this world and the gods of his fathers, and he's now dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, I see, when I listen to him, my own divided heart. Do I want the things of God the way he wants the things of God, or am I so in bondage to the things of this world? But you and I must lay aside the idolatries of this world, and we must turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Point number three, the Lord blesses those who worship him. We worship and serve when we choose him, but he yields incredible blessing that we don't deserve when we worship him. I skipped over earlier my summary of the remembrance that he had brought them through, but he tells them the story of Balak. And when Balak, king of Moab, Moab, by the way, is the, uh, is the, is the place where Ruth is from, and next week we're going to be looking at Ruth to see how God even redeems a Moabite woman in order to be a great-grandmother of, of Jesus, to be a great-grandmother of David. 
So Balak wants to call down curses on the people of Israel that are now dwelling in his land because they were on their pathway through the wilderness from Egypt to a promised land, and he doesn't want them dwelling in the land. And so he calls on Balaam, who is known to be able to bring forth powerful curses. But Balaam is unwilling to do what Balak asked him to do. And Balak is saying, I'll give you all the riches in the world, anything you want, anything that is mine is yours. I just want you to get these people out. But Balaam resolves, I'm only going to speak over them what God puts in my mouth to speak. And it's a really bizarre occasion that actually leads Balak to yield to the Lord and with a, with a talking donkey and all kinds of things. But Balaam resolves to only do what God wants him to do. And so what he does is he only speaks blessing. Six different times, even a seventh, to speak blessing over the people of Israel. And this is remarkable because the people of Israel, are they worthy to be blessed? I mean, think about the time and the occasion in which he's speaking blessing over them. They had only ever grumbled and complained and worshipped other gods. They had turned their hearts' affections away from the Lord. It's why they weren't even allowed into the promised land. They were prevented from going into the land of promise because of their idolatry. But yet God remembered a promise to them that he had chosen them. He had chosen their father Abram and he had chosen them. And because he had chosen them, he was going to bless them. So Balaam blesses them. Remember that God blesses his people So the people respond in Joshua. They say, far be it from us that we would ever forsake the Lord and serve other gods. In light of all of these done, we will worship and serve him. And you would think that that's where they would pray and conclude the service. But it doesn't happen that way. Instead, in verse 19, Joshua says something that's crazy and bizarre. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. This seems like terrible news. Like what could possibly I mean, why? you had just called us to serve the Lord, and here we are saying yes, and then you respond, we can't? It requires the grace and the mercy of God, but it also requires true faith and repentance. And so what happens next in verse 25 is that Joshua renews the covenant with God and his people. A couple weeks ago in our family service, Mark brought forth that a covenant is a conditional promise. We had a debate as a staff afterwards about the nation of conditional promises and conditional covenants because apparently to us, when we look at the scriptures, if it was conditional, then this thing would have been over a long time ago, right? Because the people of God has failed and fallen all over the place time and time again, and you and I are the same way. If this is a conditional promise, we're up the creek. But it's conditional on the obedience of the Savior who came in our Church, where is your faith? Is your faith in the gods of foreign lands? Is your faith in the gods of this land yourself? Or is your faith in the God who rose the dead? Look to him. Do not look to the empty and vain idols of this world. God renews the covenant, and the covenant carries forth today through the shed blood of Jesus. Place your faith in him and receive the blessing that comes with falling after him. And the blessing is now. We go to all other vain attempts to satisfy the anxieties of our heart and flesh and mind, to entertain ourselves to oblivion, to not deal with the difficulties of the world, to just believe that if we just got enough of the world that then we'd be satisfied. No, no, no. Look to Jesus who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Interestingly, in the text, uh, there is, out of the series of things that we see God doing, 
there is one that stands out because God is not the subject of the sentence. Instead of God saying, I did this on your behalf, it's the one that begins with you. And it stands out because all the rest mostly begin with I. And the one that says you is the one that says, and you crossed the Jordan. But do you remember how they crossed the Jordan? It required faith. They put their foot in the water, but did they cause the waters to part? Of course not. It was God who parted the waters, and it was them that then walked through on dry ground. They crossed the river. They went forward in obedience. They went forward in worship with their yes on the table. There's all kinds of questions in this text about the choosing of a people for God, but then also about the choice that is yours today. God is at work drawing people to himself all over the place, and I believe even in this room that there are people that are tired of worshiping idols and they're ready to turn to the living and true God. If you're willing this morning, would you respond in obedience? Yes. It was a question asked some weeks ago. Is your yes on the table? Do you trust God completely? Are you willing to go wherever he leads? There's a man in my discipleship group that God is stirring in, and he's in selling insurance, and now he's asking the question about whether or not he needs to leave his business and go into ministry. That's a big thing, but it's not just individually. Some of you, you're asking this individual question, but for all of us, are we willing to go as a people, as a church, wherever God would lead us? As long as we're letting the word of God lead us, and as long as we are faithful to him and it, we're going to be okay. Not only going to be okay, but some amazing days are still yet ahead. Remember that the identification of the next senior pastor is not an inline, it's a starting gate. And are you willing and ready to go wherever God leads us, not just through him, but as God, by his spirit, works through all of us. There's nothing more that I can think that the next senior pastor is going to want than a people that are sold out to the Holy Spirit to do whatever the Holy Spirit calls us to do. Let's pray. And after we pray, there's a time of invitation, and I want you to come forward if God is speaking to your heart. There's other pastors here. If there's something on your heart, I'm, I'm telling you, you can wait until tomorrow, and a lot of times you do. A lot of times you, you hear the word of the Lord, but then you wait until tomorrow. But the choice is yours today, just like Charlie. Choose today whom you'll serve. And if God is speaking to you, I pray that you'll come forward. But at the very least, I pray as we sing this last song that you will worship him with everything that you are, with everything that you have. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we yield and give ourselves to you. We ask only now that you would continue the work of your spirit in us and that we would respond in faith and obedience to whatever you would ask us to do. In the name of Christ, we pray.